Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Harrison Scott Key. Are you happy because you see us, or are you happy because your Wi-Fi is working now? Um, I'm so happy. I'm just really thrilled to get to record this song with you guys. Uh, this is like this is like pan, it's like pandemic recording. Uh, we are the world. But you're singing over each other. No, you go wait till you see my mouth stop, and then you start. Three, two, two five, six, <laughs> don't, seven, don't, eight. I'm gonna go. Three, two, one. But when I point, that's don't, don't that's, go there. That's go actually on the when zero, zero after the one. So it's that's three, the, two, yeah. one. <laughs> then you, then you. We are we're we're we're, we're thrilled that you here. I also had a really quick question. Has anybody ever called you Harry Scott? No. God, that's. A, that I thought about just, that the other day. Dude. Why is that not a thing? Because if for some reason it feels <laughs> weird to call you Harrison, <laughs> I want to call you Presh. After reading the book, we'll get to that. Dave uh, and I always refer to you as HSK, yep. but even yeah, that, yeah, you're like, well, there's got to be something shorter there. Uh, your- I had I had a lot of nicknames growing up. Um, I was uh, I was Radar because I had big ears. Radar, um, Radar's awesome. Look how, these are. I mean, this is like a this is like a jungle flora. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I was radar Dumbo uh, ears. Uh, I was rainbow for a while, which oh. uh, um, before it got shortened to just bow. Because oh. I was I was got caught in my front yard. My brother and all of his buddies they were at the out at the deer camp, but they got drinking and then they came and they rolled my yard because they knew <laughs> I would have to clean it up. Um, <laughs> That's such a great. Move. That's the so, ultimate Big Brother move. <laughs> So to I roll was, his own house. And we live so far out in the country that uh, you could be out in the, your front yard in your underwear and it didn't matter. I mean, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. And so I was I was cleaning up the toilet paper with a cane pole like somebody from an Alabama thong. And uh, <laughs> wearing this, this rainbow print um, underwear. This is pre, pre-Pride. And um, so they, and they all drove by in the truck because they had finished their hunt. And the truck, it was a big Ford F-150 driven by Cowman. That was his nickname. <laughs> He's not a cowboy. He was a cowman. Cowman. Yes. Cowman had dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. Uh, I was there the day he quit. He, he came, We all rode to school together. And Cowman came out to the truck. And he goes, I, I done had it. I had it. And he quit and became a farmer at the age of 14. Um <laughs> So wait, cow he was man. cow man at fourteen. Was he cow man at fourteen? Not legally, but he yeah, still had some shares. Yeah, he was. It was, was cow man, and my brother, who was bird, as y'all know. Yeah. And uh, so they called me Rainbow from that moment forward because of my trunks, <laughs> and then it was just Bo. Everybody had a nickname, Hello. so you can call me Bo if you want. <laughs> okay, I like Bo. Well, yeah. we're 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 excited to have you back. There's a there's a lot of things we have to say at the beginning of this. Um, yeah, Harry Scott. I feel like John and I have laughed a lot about this because you know we knew even before what the book was going to be. It, it, we had talked about you know your next book, and so we're excited to have you on. Having read it, 
there's this weight that we both feel um, of like this we can't is overstate it. We yeah, cannot and, and, overstate. I want to double down on this. I'm going to keep double down. I'm going to keep doubling down on this to, as the podcast goes. But I mean, the book is just so good that there's that I don't know that John and I have ever felt so responsible <laughs> for like navigating a podcast efficiently because there's so many things that we want to say and so we literally got together and we looked at each other you know to prep we do hours of prep and and he sat down and said i really don't know how we're going to do this and i said i don't either and so and we've never had like like we've had you on the podcast before you're a friend we know you we love you you're you're back and we are terrified (laughs) Um, you should be. You should. This is. This I know. It feels appropriate. Crap out of people, man. Like, is this is this how Oppenheimer felt? I mean, I don't know, but it's 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 frightening. It, what a parallel. It scares the crap out of people. I mean, especially men. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch people respond to it. It is. Um, I mean, it's definitely. Uh, I ha- I've just fr- I forgot how heavy the book is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, there's a lot of humor in it, but I'm I'm just sort of like uh, this is one of those stories that you know some books take a lot of work. Um. Uh, this one did not. This one just like wow. came out of me. I mean, it just flew out. That's that's one reason that it can't. It's out so suddenly after all these events happened, at least comparatively speaking. Because it just like it came out, and it was so I was just trying to sort of catch it all as it was coming mm, out mm. and and so, and I was just so kind of innervated and excited um to to catch all this great content mm. uh, it was obviously happening, and a lot of it was being written in real time um and pretty wild, so now. I have to go back and I'll be reading sections of it. I'm like, dude, no wonder people are freaking out about For it. Sure. It's heavy, man. For sure. It is. It is well, the heavy. thing, the heavy. thing that um, is so, um, so, so let me say this to everybody who's listening, just for clarity's sake. We have Harrison Scott Key with us um, today. The name of the book is called How to Stay Married, the Most Insane Love Story Ever Told. And it is really hard to know how to talk uh, or, or even just to tell friends about this book. And the best that I've done is it sort of feels like a three-part adventure you know one part laughter and absolutely hysterical hysterical writing i mean that that i think is probably what you're known the most for because you know the initial book uh was so that but then it's this interesting um fast-paced action story like it reads like a novel so you have humor but then you have a storyline that you're actually really in you're you're involved in like how is this going to go but then it's also got the gospel and and sort of spirituality all through it. And so it's a really hard thing to try to tell people about. Because, like, you know, I read it in two days. I mean, I just mowed through it. Uh, and I loved And I texted you. I mean, it had to be your favorite text for me because it was just pictures of pages that you had <laughs> written, you know. But it was like, I just, I got through with it. And he was like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't even know how to describe what I think. I'm like, I laughed really hard. I cried really hard. I was like... My mind was blown by the writing. And so I think that's why, for those who are listening, that's why this thing is so hard to talk about because it's not just something that feels like, it's really funny, you should read it, you can laugh really hard. Or like, gosh, this is like a novel. It's got this crazy story. But then it's also got so much, you know, as Christians, as John and I are, it's got so much of what we believe sort of beautifully and 
carefully and you know honestly just sort of written through it and so uh the the common thing that i've found with my friends and i've had i mean this is this is john and i were talking this book is one of probably like in my adult life maybe like two or three books that i saw catch in my friend group like it was like somebody was like you should read this and then it was like everywhere i went i had people go dude do you know who harrison's got kids do you know how his new book and i was like do i know i took pictures of it and sent it to him that's how <laughs> intimate i am with this book. but i have, you know, i haven't seen that since the notebook catch fire among my <laughs> that's my what friends. we're trying to say right now so that's the no, air it means, that a, lot. So it means a lot so I think all that to say, as I set up this this time, I think what what where we've kind of landed, which you're gonna, I think, will be potentially hysterical to you, is all that I knew to do. I mean, we really sat and talked about this. Was like, I have you know quotes that I underlined uh, because I think it sort of has to be quoted. You know, I feel like it's something I could talk about, but then the listeners wouldn't get how good your writing is, which is probably overkill to you. But it's one thing to be like, guys, you need to read this book, but it's another to be like, no, let me you know, read a passage so you can see how well this is written. And then John is just going to ask his questions and I don't know how it's going to go. So we have, I have zero clue how this is going to go. I think what I want you to feel is our excitement. And I do think I will say this before we jump in. I think more than anything that um, John and I also talked about is it's, is I think the weight of it ultimately is because it really does feel like this. um, I don't even know how to say it kind of like a warning shot across the bow a little bit. It's like this beautiful story written in the way that I took it was like, Hey, just a heads up, like things can go this way to anybody. And here's how I've thought about it. And I think the end of the book, which is so beautiful is you kind of do leave with some sort of like just a couple of pro tips, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. from the guy with all the scars who's still bleeding a little bit. And I think it's very rare as John said that I think, you know, in Christendom, we sort of get that kind of look into the the real happenings. Like there's a very intimate view in. So I think that's the weight that John and I both feel is kind of like, and why I want to handle it so well is because it really has something to say that I think is ultimately very important if, if, if really, if the call is heated. So that's, <laughs> here we go. And this is your life. Buckle up. Oh, I well, should sir. shoot. I didn't do the bow. I got to do this. I'm sorry. This is Drew, but I got to read this because people just need to know. Here we go. Um, I always do the bow at the top, and I totally skipped that because I got excited, and also I tt'd a little bit of pants. Okay. Harrison Scott Key is the author of The World's Largest Man, winner of the Thurber Prize for American Humor, and congratulations, who are you again? The humor, his humor and nonfiction have appeared in the best American travel writing, Oxford American, Outside, The New York Times, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Town and Country, Mockingbird Salon, there's a lot of books, uh, and elsewhere. He lives in Savannah, Georgia. So there's the official... <laughs> There's like the official uh, bio, just so I've said it. And now we begin. John, take us away. I'll start us off, but I want to. I just want to take a side note and apologize to all the listeners right now who are like, "Let Harrison <laughs> Bo talk, you guys." I'm sorry, Harry Scott. But it just, it just, it just feels like there's so much. Um, it's like when you talk to somebody about uh, your. The birth of your child and you're like this is the most this happens more over human history than anything else there's nothing special about this but your situation is special it's like this book it's like you can't there's like an angst that we feel because we want everybody listening to read this book anyway so you are i mean it's a it's a gross understatement to say that you are very 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 open and honest in this book and I'm curious, what, what was, was there ever like any hesitation? There doesn't seem like there was any sort of thought 
edited out. Um, <laughs> or if they were, I would love to know. What they were. I would love to know what those were. But I'm, I'm also curious, as Dave said, like it's it's really rare that you see in Christian circles any sort of attempt at a memoir or or story of any kind that isn't on some level wrapped up in a bow or you know what I mean. This book does not. You don't give any attempt at that. How has it been received? And did you have any expectation? of how it would be received? I knew that everyone would love it because it was good. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, uh, so a couple of things. So so first, the book really, you said you don't really know how to talk about it. That's, that's uh, I feel, pretty universal because the book really is kind of this weird mirror and people kind of see whatever is going on with them. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, Christians see this book about the, the faithfulness of the church and the pros and cons of religion and, um, and why marriage matters and, um, you know, the irreligious and the beautiful pagans see this as a, a funny cautionary tale about marriage and sort of a rubbernecking, uh, a really kind of explosive wild situation. Unmarried people are looking at it as a uh, this sort of cautionary fable, and I mean, it's just so fascinating. I get so many, I, if I, I get so many wild DMs from people like telling me the details of their marriages. One woman just messaged me that she discovered her husband was was cheating on her uh, two days ago. And she's like, I don't know who to tell, but I feel like I could tell you it's easier Holy than telling cow. people I know. I get messages like that like once a week from somebody who I'm like, oh, you should you really should call somebody. Um, yeah. So it is it's definitely weird. Um, but I expected that. What's interesting about this book is that um, it is now it's now really being called like a Christian book. And I that was never my intent. Mm. I knew that that was possible and that some people would see it that way. I, you know, I had offers to buy the manuscript uh, from Christian publishers, really, really big ones, um, and ultimately went with uh, a, a secular publisher, Simon and Schuster, mm -hmm. um, because I didn't want it to sort of just live in the Christian ghetto. I wanted this to be a book that uh, that other people talked about too, and so I was always trying to have, I mean, just enough religion to make sense of the choices I was making and the struggles like you know when you're because here's the deal like when you're dealing with uh when you deal with something really explosive like uh cancer the death of a loved one um addiction crime uh infidelity anything big like that and you're faced with decisions what do I do because I had so much power like as soon as my wife told me she was having an affair with a neighbor and she wanted a divorce all of a sudden, I had to make the most important decisions of my life instantly mm -hmm. about my children, my money, my home, my property, my family, my legacy. All of that was on the um, chopping block. Um, what do I do? And so when you're faced with that decision, you, you naturally have to turn to, or at least, I don't know, people who are half wise, you have to, you look for advice, you look for guidance. You're talking to your friends. You're Googling how to stay married. What do I do if I found out my <laughs> wife is cheating? Go to YouTube. You know, like you're oh you're looking for answers. And people with any sort of um, knowledge of, of history or books, philosophy, religion, you're 
going to turn to sort of the the tools that you have uh, at grasp. And what I had was was my faith. And in some ways, you know, I've grown up in the church, um, always been a doubter, as I talk about in the book. Um, you know, I was enrolled in seminary for a week before I decided to pursue a, a career writing plays with all my gay friends. You know, I just mm-hmm. had a lot of a lot of uh, straddling the border between religion mm-hmm. and not. But when this went down, I was looking for answers. What do I do? So I, I tried to reach out to wise people. Um, but also it was kind of like, you know, sometimes when you buy a house, especially an old house, and you go out to the backyard and there's like a, there's a shed back there and it's got all these old tools in it. And you don't know what they're for. They're rusty and weird. They look like something that would, you know, like medieval torture devices um, my grandfather, you know, had this huge farm that, but he didn't use all these old tools anymore. And for me, when I experienced this, it was like walking into the backyard, into the barn and finding these old tools, these old books and this ancient wisdom. And, uh, I was like, all right, let's see what these things can do. Uh, I believe in forgiveness. Uh, but do I really like, mm-hmm. let's see how this old tool really works. Um, I believe in mercy. I believe in uh, confession. I believe that uh, vows and promises matter. They have to matter. Truth has to matter. And and so religion came into the story because I'm trying to grapple with what to do. And these are the tools that I have. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that somebody who is writing a book like this um, uh who, you know, I don't know, believes in uh, astrology and tarot, they're going to talk about that because that's what they use. Uh, and and so that's how it came into the story. But I did not want to overdo it. I, this book is not proselytizing. This mm-hmm. book makes as many arguments against religion as it does for it, mm-hmm. uh, which is so shocking to me that it's in the like the religious inspiration section at Barnes and Noble. I'm like, this is the least religious and least inspiring book I could imagine being in that section. But, you know, when Christianity Today reviewed the book and I interviewed uh, with them and I kind of blew it up in the Christian world. And so uh, a lot of my pagan friends are messaging me. They're like, dude, I did not realize it was a Christian book. I loved it. But I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked to learn that it was a Christian book, according to all these people, other people yeah. who are reading yeah. it. And yeah. so it's a it's a strange experience to have a book like that. Um, I'm fine to sell books to Christians and pagans alike. <laughs> I want everybody, you know, I want everybody listening to my music, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. But it's definitely, um, and I knew that I would, I'd suffer some slings and arrows when it came out. You know, there were. I knew that I was going to read a review somewhere online that said, "I loved Harrison Scott Key's work until this book. I didn't realize he was so religious. This sucks. I'm not finishing this." Like I knew I would read that. Yeah. I also knew I would read stuff like, uh, "The the Lord is working mighty wonders in Harrison Key's life. I just wish you would have talked about, um, you know." Uh, substitutionary atonement more, you know, like I knew I would read that too. And that's been weird. It's like, oh, that's not what I was trying to do, but thank you for reading. You know what? Looks like we made it. I was going to go with that. Never come, baby. What were we going to say, John? Sorry. I, just... I was going to say, I think we finally made it. Looks like we made it. We're going to have to pay. 
<laughs> so much money. Shania Twain is going to be so mad. Listen, um, so I hear you say that. My yeah. question back to you is, did we get our name on a billboard? No. Nope. That's what I'm... No? Nope. Oh. But Dave... Yep. Even better. No. We have our own signature coffee, coffee blend. blend. You oh want to listen to me drink it? You know what's weird? I'm I'm sort of in mm. this. I don't know what kind of like you know uh, <clears throat> weird symbiotic thing is happening. Symbiotic thing here, but I'm actually drinking the Dadville blend right now, which is sort of that's weird. It's like a loop on it's itself. It's like you're incepting bit. yourself. Oh, I've always had a hard time <laughs> incepting myself. Methodical <laughs> roast their coffee to best express the life it's lived, the place, the weather, the soil. And to honor the skilled people who cultivate it. That's right. And Methodical roasts their coffee to order so you always receive the freshest beans possible. FBP. And if mm-hmm. they don't swear by FBP, they should. That's the <laughs> freshest beans possible. Okay. <laughs> I taste hints. Let me see. Okay. Chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Graham. Keep going. And brown sugar. That's, you hit the nail on the head, David. Visit methodicalcoffee.com for more information and use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. Spoiler. Just FYI, I know okay. exactly okay. what I'm getting your dad for his birthday. Oh, like a helicopter lawnmower? Uh, close. Okay. I'm gonna it's like the dad. helicopter lawnmower of coffee. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if, you, if, if they can't say that, who can, John? Right. And really nobody. But I was going to actually <laughs> get your dad that. Or... Methodical. Do you see what I did there, John? Don't forget to visit methodicalcoffee.com for more information and use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. John, when have you felt like the best version of yourself? Oh, man, Dave. Heavy question before I have my coffee. Okay. Uh, let me see. I'd say right now I'm the best version of myself, but like I'm that. always looking for ways to improve. Listen, that's where better help comes in. Sometimes mm. I feel overwhelmed and I just need someone to talk to and working with a therapist can get you closer to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Better help is a great option if you're looking to give therapy a try or you just need more flexibility. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. That's right. Better help is convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dadville today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dadville. Isn't it crazy? You said this earlier, like, you know, these things that we don't mean to do sometimes with the things we create in the, in the, you know, in the artistic space, but you, you, you make this book, you know, you write this book and then all of a sudden your DM, you become now like a guru just by sort of confessing. It's not even that you yeah, say, I yeah. know what I'm doing. And yeah. I can't imagine how that's got to be one of the weird sort of scorpion tail. Boy, I didn't see this coming. You know, I mean, how, how are you navigating? Do you just have like a copy paste that you do? That's like, here's a hotline or like, go to, you know, how, how are you doing with that? I usually respond with boy, howdy. Um, <laughs> when, when people me- message me there, sometimes they're thoughtful. I mean, I got, I get messages where people give me their phone numbers and they're like, can you please call me? Wow. Um, because uh, I found out, you know, my husband's, Ruined the plumber, and now I've got problems. Um, mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> like, I usually tell people something like, "Wow, that you know, that's pretty wild." Uh, thank you for sharing. I relied, as as you read in my book, I relied on uh, wise friends mm. um, to keep me steady. 
um, in the midst of all this. And so I, I really encourage you to do that. Find, mm. find a friend you can tell the one friend you can tell, um, who's not going to give you bad advice and not going to tell you to run away from all your problems, but it's just going to keep you steady. Uh, mm. and if you don't have friends and I found a lot of people reach out to me and they say they don't have friends Yeah, and that's a, that's a great plague right now in America, mm. Mm. but I'll say, well, uh, then you need to go to a therapist right now. Yeah. Um, because you've got to get this out because it's toxic if it stays inside of you. And then your next, your next, uh, job is to, uh, build a community of friends. Mm-hmm. Takes about, you know, three to five years to do that. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of strange messages and I, I expected that I would. Um, but it's definitely heavy. I feel like, man, a therapist has to do this every day. Gosh. Uh, yeah. I could not imagine. To your point earlier about the Christian world and their response to it and all that kind of stuff i i let me just say just me personally as a as a christian who grew up in the church and we have you know in in that way we have similar upbringings the way that you articulate your faith and the you know when you were 17 versus today and all the all that you have gone through spiritually faith-wise it's so I've never read a book that has articulated what I have experienced in my life so well. Hmm. And as I was reading it, I'm thinking, you know, this is, I'm sure that this is, um, there are things that you say where I'm like, yeah, that's great. That, that's palatable for the non-Christians who are reading it. And I'm, I'm, all, I'm listening to it through the lens of that, like, oh, how are Christians going to feel about this? And how are non-Christians <laughs> going to feel, you know, all that kind of stuff. But but I'm a Christian, and I, f- I have felt all those things that you have described, and you describe them, so, you write them so well. I, it's like a gift for me as a believer to have not only this book, but, ha- to, but to know like, oh, there's some, somebody else who is with me. I'm not the only crazy guy in the room sometimes, like Bo feels it, you know. <laughs> I was really writing for... I I knew, you know, this is not a prescriptive book and so many religious books are, they're, Mm -hmm. they're dry and they're, um, they're just like too tidy, you know, as you said, Mm -hmm. but this is just like, this is not a say of like, this wasn't a book of like, here's how to be. Mm -hmm. This was more, this is how I be. This is what's going on with me right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, by the way. uh, this is, this how, is how I be. It do be like that sometimes, <laughs> and also me. Um, but I knew that there were people. I did know that if I told uh, this my sort of story of wrestling with the world heavyweight champion of the universe, uh, if I told that story honestly, mm-hmm. uh, that I do, I did know that there would be people who would welcome that. <clears throat> I knew it would piss off all the people who got mad that I cussed so much mm-hmm. in the book. Um, and I knew it would bother the people who don't want, who want to keep a 10 foot cattle prod between them and religion. I knew it would upset those groups, but I thought if it was funny enough and shocking enough that people would read it anyway, and they, they are reading it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, I've offended everybody equally on some level. (laughs) It's like, I'm serving, I mean, I'm drinking pineapple juice in this goblet, but it looks like urine. It looks like it looks like urine from a truck driver who's not well hydrated. And 
It looks like urine from a truck driver who has, hasn't drank anything that's not from a pilot station in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I'm also wearing spandex bike shorts. Oh, yeah. Right now. What? Get in Check there. them you out. You are. Have you been Look, biking? No. <laughs> oh, that's even better. That makes me even more happy. I, uh, that's a whole, that's a different podcast. We can talk about that later. <laughs> Um, That's my favorite take, moment of this interview so far. When you're like, "Have you been biking?" <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't even have a bike. Um, I am really the Princess Diana of male Southern fashion <laughs> hetero. hetero. <laughs> um, anyway, it's like I'm serving goblets of truck truck driver urine, mm. um, but there's enough good food at the dinner that people aren't leaving. They're like, "What yeah. the hell is this?" urine doing here but yeah. wow this burger is great you know right. if i can be so bold i think the thing that is is i mean please don't get mad at how where this is going but i think the thing that is so powerful to me about that um posture like your writing posture is that it does and don't throw things it does literally to me feel like old testament prophets praying or like dealing with god like one of the most profound things that ever happened in my spiritual life was I did kind of a deep dive because I was teaching on this because I was so fascinated by it. And, and, you know, as it usually happens, as I did the research, I was like, even if I never gave my findings, I think I would have been happy with what I just found. Just the research was the work. And realizing, like, I just wanted to see how all the people in the Old Testament and New Testament talked to God, like when they really talked to him. Like, not like, you know, he's here, but like when they're like, he shows up and they're like, hey, and I found so many times they were unbelievably disrespectful, candid, honest, and, and vulnerable. And he, and it's so rare that he's ever like, huh? you know, he's never the mighty eyes, like, how do you talk? But the people he is the maddest with, you see so much in the New Testament, the people who are hypocritical. And that's yeah. what he's like, that's, look, you can yell at me, call me everything you want. Like, I can deal with that because I know you're being truthful and I can deal with the truth. And so I think what's so fascinating and why I think my community has loved this book so much is it kind of reads like that. It kind of reads like this guy going like, look, I'm just telling you where I am. And it's mm -hmm. not, you know, sometimes it's really frustrated. Sometimes it's sad, but I'm not pulling the punches that I think so many people are used to in Christendom, where it's kind of like, God will make a way where he sees a beat. <laughs> You're like, this sucks, you know, with all the color around it that it needs to be to be authentic. And I think that's one of the reasons that I've seen the, my friends, you know, really be so drawn to it. It's like, that's how I feel. It's like you said, it's a mirror. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that's how I feel. And I think that's one of the reasons that, Again, that I've seen God in in my journey, where I, I, I it's changed the way I talk to him because I think he's like, hey, can we cut through all the platitudes? Like, I want to know, you know, but let's talk. Yeah. Like, what's going on with you? Because then we can deal with it, you know. And so, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that it's so that it, it does work, though. To your point, Harrison, it's like you aren't coming in sort of going, okay, how can I sort of make this as presentable as I can? But you're being authentic. One of the things that I wanted to to talk about really quick it, that I feel like I've learned so much as I've grown older that you do such a good job in this book, kind of dealing with is this idea. Like the quote, you know, is from early on in the book, but it's when y'all have this first conversation where Lauren kind of talks about, um, uh, you know, the affair. And part of it is when the start, I said, I'm reading your words, a long time ago, she did not look like my wife anymore. She spoke like an indifferent alien droid who did not necessarily wish to destroy life on Earth, but had been programmed to do so. Uh, and then you said, I need to know when this all started. The thing that I just saw this Tim Keller quote on this, and we've had... Um, one of a guy that I saw for counseling for forever who kind of spoke to this and Keller's quote was really eloquent where he basically says like, 
you know, you're not marrying one person. You're marrying a lot of versions of one person. Like your marriage is going to be iterated into oblivion. You know, like by the end of your marriage, you will have married like seven men, basically, you know. And I think something that you do such a good job as you talk about marriage in this book is how we really do change. You know, like you say, the beginning is easy. You know, it's like getting into this. What do you say? Like marriage is, or uh, uh, getting married is fun. Being married is really, really hard, that idea. And I think if there's anything in Christendom that needs to be talked about more, and again, why this book is so powerful to me is because we don't, like you're not married to 21-year-old Lauren. She's not married to 21-year-old Harrison or 25, whenever you're married. You know, she's married to iterations into oblivion of you and the same with her. And I think that's something that I love about this book because I just, it's not talked about enough. It's like, especially in our space, it's like, you know, you marry this person you see on that day or who you dated, who was kind of like, man, she's so chill. She lets me do all the stuff I love to do with my friends. And then you get married and you're like, what happened to her? You know? Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that I think is so helpful is to see, reading this book was like how true and how good of a job you do displaying like, look, we are miles off from where we started sometimes good sometimes bad but we're not those people anymore you know I yeah we're that. we're all we're all mormons in a way um <laughs> married to lots and lots of people and that's that <laughs> tim keller quote <clears throat> you know my wife is i think he's quoting quoting maybe stanley Hauerwas or something yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah you know uh my wife has been married to five men and they're all yes me. that's um, right that's right that's right, and I've 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 referred to that uh, in interviews because I I agree with that. You know, he also uh, paraphrases somebody when he says, "You always marry the wrong person because yes. there's so many different people, and even if your soulmates when you marry, your souls will not be mated for long because it'll be a different person that you're married right. to all of right. a sudden. You know, uh, success, kids, mm. uh, money, not having money, um, loss." Uh, so many things change people. And mm. I think that is one of the the great failures in marriages is that people forget that they have changed and they mm. forget that their spouses have changed. And they also forget that their spouses can change more and that they can change more. And so uh, that's why I say in the book that, you know, divorce is so often a failure of imagination. Mm. Um Jeez. I do believe divorce is, of course, warranted and called for on in many, many circumstances. And this book is not an anti-divorce book. And I have many, many good friends who are divorced and uh, because of uh, abuse, addiction, uh, lots and lots of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's important to remember um, that when you when your marriage is at its worst, I mean, there's so many times that so many married couples have a moment where, how do I describe it? You have a moment where you start to look at your spouse and you're like, there's nothing there. It's just yeah. dead. Mm -hmm. um, you, Can you, I jump in uh, real quick with a, with a great quote from you from the book? This is reminding me when you said, uh, Lauren was beginning to look at me the way that you look at a fast food order that yeah. they got it wrong, but you're two miles down the road. <laughs> That's exactly what, what I mean. Um, Sorry to cut I you off. Remember. I just had to pepper no, that. No, up. that's a really good line. <laughs> a good line. Um, there, there are just these moments where you 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 like your spouse, or you you appreciate them. You're you're so happy that you could have a child with them. Mm. You don't hate them. 
you don't want them to die, but you look at them and there's just nothing sexually attractive about them to you in that moment. Uh, you've told them all of your stories. There's nothing else to say. They just look like a pair of wet khakis from like 10 years ago. And every marriage, every marriage has had that moment so many, so many times. And nobody talks about it, man. I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. Like, nobody yeah. talks yes. about it. Like, yeah. man, I did pretty much everything right mm. on paper. Uh, was not abusive. Uh, was not weird with money. Um, we always had money. Paid every bill on time. Obviously, I talk about so many of my faults in the book. But, but nothing that <clears throat> rises to the level of sort of what I went through. Uh, and, and nothing that would deserve being left, um, by a spouse, uh, in my estimation. But there were so many times when I would just look at my wife and then, you know, as I say in the book, I was, you know, working at a university with many, you know, young, mm-hmm. single 20 something, uh, women who, uh, hadn't heard all my stories and they mm-hmm. laughed and laughed in meetings. <laughs> oh man, I can flirt, man. Like, Mm. Uh, I you send me to a, a convention of dental hygienists and I will kill brother. <laughs> I will take them downtown to Chinatown, and I would have these moments where I would make somebody laugh at the dentist's office, the doctor's office, the bookstore at work, and I'm like, I bet that woman could love me. I bet mm-hmm. she would love me, you know. Mm-hmm, and yeah. my wife is looking yeah. at me like the wrong burrito, you know. And <laughs> and you have to be able to imagine. You have to be able to conceive that this is temporary. This feeling of mild, just gentle disgust that you have with your partner um, is temporary. And maybe love doesn't look like somebody laughing at all your jokes. Mm. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't look like being paw, you know pawed and fawned over by the twenty eight year old intern who just started. I don't mm. know why she's so old and still interning, but you know <laughs> but, people do have these situations. When you sit and talk to her, you do find out though. So you you, you do have to remember that we all change so much that you're, you're, you might be somebody different, maybe a better person, maybe worse, maybe qualitatively the same, but still different in six months in a year. And so when, when all this went down, it was hell, as you know, from reading the book, uh, I and my wife and my family, we went into hell. And, and so when, when I was down there, um, I knew everything would be okay. And I know that mm. sounds weird, but I, I knew it would be okay. Not because of some like incredibly pious worship song about, you know, how God's going to scoop me up and hold me in his tiny, tiny, big, big hands, whatever. It was more of, um, I believe in cosmic goodness. Mm. And um, I have seen my family members you know, talk about my my brother and my mom and my dad and my grandfather specifically in the book, I know that they have been through hell and I never saw them turn bitter or angry. Mm. And I thought it was like that thought as I was in the depths, the ninth level of hell with fire and cold and ice and dragons all around me. I, I mm. always, it, it was awful guys. It was, mm. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I always knew 
this will pass. Something will good will come from this, mm-hmm. as Dave's song says. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that song came out kind of it was kind of your pandemic anthem a little bit. Um, and I came out in the midst of all this. And, and mm-hmm. that, that song, I was like, he gets it. Like, mm-hmm. and I knew, you know, <laughs> we weren't talking about, you know, masks and six feet away, you know, like it was still much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want people to know that. Um, that like you and your spouse are like these gelatinous orbs. Yeah. And the only thing that stays the same is maybe your fingerprints and your Mm. birth certificate. Everything Mm. else just kind of grows. And, you know, whether you want to call it sanctification or personal growth, those things, you can, things can be better. You can be better. Mm. You can see your spouse with new eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I remember I had this moment, you know, like last year and I was, practicing the drums up at church before church started. And she, she gets there early cause she's in charge of children's church and she was marching through the, down the aisle and she looked really hot and, um, she was wearing really, really short skirt for a church, but that's fine. And, uh, but <laughs> I remember thinking she kind of looks hot. I kind of think I might try and have sex with this woman later <laughs> at a later time on, on today. Um, and that's a, like, there was a time in my life where I never thought I would say that again. Never thought I would, yeah. in, never thought I would feel that way. And I just want to encourage people listening. Like, mm. y- like your spouse is not just a piece of old moldy pizza. They might seem like that today, but they won't mm. always be that way. And you mm. won't always see them that way. It's like, just have a little faith, man. Like mm, yeah. hold on, hold on to hope and goodness and you will be surprised what miracles happen. God, that's good, dude. Good gracious. That's good. <laughs> I literally got teary. I don't I don't quite we, even we know how that. Have, we, we did have sex that day. Okay. I was going to ask. Good. Yeah. I, that was gonna I was going to ask, like, what, was it 4 p.m.? Was it right after church? Was it? <laughs> you can answer that later, but. Personal. Texas, Texas. <laughs> that's too far. Texas later. Now that's too far. So, you know, as, as all of us here have had i have friends who have gone through uh divorces and and affairs and stayed together and the ones who have gone through what you went through their version of it and stayed together and and some of them will wholeheartedly say like it it is better now than it has ever been and i'm always curious about and kind of fascinated by like well i mean as you say you went through hell and you had this you know the betrayal of all betrayals Mm. and then it is um you know it's rebuilt and it's stronger and it's better and then i'm always curious what their relationship is going forward to all that pain you know what i mean all the sort of like the improvement for lack of a better word i'm not a writer here uh, HSK, um, the improvement that you feel going forward, it's like well, you kind of have to, if you're truly honest, you got to credit it to that hell that you went through. Is that like a daily relationship that you that you have with the pain of the mm. past? You know what I mean? Wow. Not daily, not anymore, but it definitely wow. was day to day in the early in the early days of of her coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say that the the first year was incredibly difficult because you had that thought every day. Like every day I remembered what my wife had done. Jeez. And I, and I, I, 
I saw her with this man in my mm. in my daydreams. Sure. Um, as Lauren says in the book, like it's really hard because when we're getting in a fight over what to eat for dinner, um, I I win because she had an affair. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's like. It's like she wants pizza, I want tacos, and I did not have an affair, so I think we get to eat tacos. <laughs> get tacos. Um, all those daily decisions. She says she says that, and that's very true. It's mm-hmm. very, it was really hard not to u- wield that as a weapon. Yes, yeah, right. Um, in in the marriage, and um, and it comes back to this: uh, if you really believe people can change, um, including yourself, then forgiveness becomes a lot easier. Um, she was not. I had to constantly remind myself that she was not the same woman who had who had done this before. Wow. That wow. she had seen things and experienced Jeez. things that that had changed mm. who she was. Uh and I I do believe um that she's not the same woman. Um it doesn't happen every day. Um one of my um uh, cousins who this happened to, uh he said uh something hap- like this happened to him about 10 or 12 years ago and and he stayed with his wife and they now have uh, three kids and uh and he went through something pretty pretty brutal not not much different than what i went through Mm. um and he said you know man like everything's fine and then just one day it just comes all roaring at you out of the the abyss this Mm. memory the thought and uh you have to like not not look at the dragon because mm. it will go away. It will just go wow. back into the hole. Wow. But that does happen still. Mm. I think for both of us. Um, there was mm. a day not long ago, well, maybe, I don't know, six months ago, and I was just down in the dumps. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, I don't I don't I don't know if she is happy she she came home. I don't know. Mm. Maybe mm-hmm. she's not. And I was I could not shake it. And but what's different now Mm. is that we were laying there in the bed. I'd been sort of thinking this all day. I mean, mm. it could have just been because I you know, had a, I don't know, vitamin B deficiency that day or something, but I just was not a good day. And I was thinking about this, and I'm like, I wonder if she wishes she had not come home. I wonder mm. if she ever has that thought. And um, But I'm, I'm laying there in bed, and I was just, I just like blurted it out. I was like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Did we do the right thing? Did we do the right thing? And I'm just like, it's just all coming out. Um, and we had a really great conversation and she reassured mm. me. I mean, I think she saw that this was not a fight that she needed to like mm. reassure me because the mm-hmm. um, the betrayed partner in my experience ne- needs reassurances mm. even without asking for them. Mm. Um, you need that. The, mm. the, the person who, uh, who had the affair, uh, so often needs to say, like, needs to provide reassurances, whether it's a touch on the arm mm. or a, a loving text or something, if they're ever feeling like they need to provide that, because if you demand it, if I demanded it, then it wouldn't be genuine. It wouldn't be real and authentic. Um, but I think yeah, she saw yeah. that I need to, needed some reassurance that I was having a bad day. And she, you know, put her hand on my arm and she said, um, you know, I I do not regret coming home. I want to be married to you. And she just mm. kept saying it over and over again. Um, and it helped. And, you know, the mm. dragon went back to his hole. Um, and I haven't had a bad moment like that in, since that happened. That was six months ago. Mm. Um, but it does come back 
And, um, but, but what's different is that I told my wife that mm. I was feeling like that. And then we didn't fight about it. Um, and then on the inverse of that is I was we were washing dishes and we were cooking our oldest daughter who her name is Coco in the book. Her real name is Simmons. She graduates from high school in a year and she'll be gone. And, um, and then once she's gone, the other two are right behind her. And so uh, we're already thinking sort of about the next season of our lives, but we were cooking and all of our kids were home and, you know, they all have jobs and my oldest has a car and they're always going and doing and stuff. And and that's great. But they were all home. And one of them was playing with the dog, playing with Gary at the park. And one of them was emptying the dishwasher and I was cooking and Lauren was doing the dishes and our youngest was probably laying on the floor face down in a bowl of jelly beans or something. But we were all there. And I turned to her and I said, this is it. This is it. We mm-hmm. are here. This, I said, it gets no better than this. This is it. Like, this is what we fought for. The no fireworks, Frank Sinatra, Nora Jones are not playing in the background. It's mm-hmm. just dinner, family dinner. And it was this really beautiful moment of like, this is, there are people throughout history who would die Mm -hmm. to have that. And because of other people or because of their decisions or because of circumstances or, I don't know, geopolitical strife, like it didn't happen, but we have it. And I'm like, this, this is eternity. Like, this is heaven. Like we've been through hell where this is, this is what heaven looks like, brother. And I told her. And it was just like very gentle. It wasn't, I didn't get weird or maltin like I just did with you guys. I just said, this is it, Lauren. I was like, this is it. This is as good as life can get. And so that moment happens too. And mm-hmm. that, doesn't, that didn't happen a lot before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I feel super lucky. John, you can't stop me from saying it. I've been trying for years. I don't even know what you're trying to do, but I've been trying to stop you. Listen, I've got to say, this might have been my favorite summer ever because, Johnny, guess what? The future is bright. It is so bright. Listen, Dave, if it's that bright, you need Knock Around. Okay. The original affordable sunglasses company offering quality shades that won't break the bank. B2B. That might be my favorite cliche, by the way. Mm -hmm. But That's a good one. Can you believe that the shade started only twenty eight bucks? I can't believe. No, it. look at you. You are so mad at me right now because you don't believe me. I you don't. think I'm a liar. I hate it when I'm you not lie to a me. liar. Okay, I've spent more on a soy latte at your boutique <laughs> coffee shop, and that's in quotes, John. John's Java Jukebox J- Cafe, which I'm still that's feeling like. Let's don't name. land that one for sure. I know. Yet. I know. We've penciled it in. Yeah. yeah. Listen, that's the friends and family discount I know. that I give you. So don't complain about it. <laughs> but get this. Expensive. Get this. Knockaround sunglasses are available in 15 different frame styles. You, you're like, they could have stopped at a dozen and, no, and been doing no, great, but they, they went ahead more. for 15. Yep. A ton of different color combinations yep, yep. and are offered with both standard UV 400 protection and polarized lenses. Good gracious. Yeah. You could easily get a different style for each phase of the moon, John. I keep up with exactly. that stuff. Okay. <laughs> you got the crescent moon, the full moon. 
and the honeymoon. I knew you were going with that. Yep, there it is. I knew there you were going with that. That's the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> that that's not even lowest hanging fruit. It's joke. on the ground. That's, that joke is on the ground, rotted for weeks. <laughs> but you know what? I respect you. You do for take, for picking up that dirty fruit thank joke. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, thank you. listen. Not only do I wear knock yeah, around sunglasses, I've seen you wear them. You wear I wear them, them when I walk down to an expensive coffee shop. Right. <laughs> I wear them when I go on a run, Dave, because they have Jeez. a cool like. Old school, like runner, you yeah. know, sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. I also wear their shirts. Look at me, Dave. And I'm have wearing I knock around shirts right now. Have I seen your girls wearing them too? Have I seen them wearing? They the kids better not glasses? have been because I told them they're not allowed to. <laughs> you can use promo code Dadville fifteen every day for fifteen percent off your order on knockaround.com. But we want you to take advantage of Knockaround's big annual Labor Day. That's right. Get a twenty-five percent discount by heading to knockaround.com September first. First through the fourth to save. That's knockaround.com and use the code DADVILLE15. John, we all love summer, and our oh, kids yeah. especially love summer, but yep. we lose that consistent schedule of when kids are in school. And that yep. can create some summer child care problems. You know what? Thankfully, though, Dave, <gasps> there's a solution. What? Windy. That's W-Y-N-D-Y. Listen, it's an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome, Dave. That's right, John. And Wendy has been around for seven years and has been used by over 20,000 families. There are hundreds of qualified college student nannies on Wendy near you, working full or part-time. All you have to do is go to wendy.com slash dadville to start searching for a nanny. And as a special offer, they're going to knock off 50 bucks off your search if you go through that link. Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional nanny agencies Ooh. and no ongoing fees. Okay, so here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash dadville to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You can choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. That's right. Go to wyndy.com slash dadville. Mm, golly Moses, dude! You know oh, it's man. it's interesting you saying that. I, I, I've I've never thought about this in my life until you just said this. But this idea that like, you know, she was not the woman that had done that before, that mm-hmm. had done those things before. And we've talked about how we change. But when you think about how uh, we're told to not keep a record of wrongs, I've never thought about it this way. It's not just that you're not keeping a record of wrongs because it's that person. They're not that person anymore. So you're almost yeah. accusing them for things that aren't appropriate anymore. And that, yeah, that you, just, you remember, you remember, but those names are on the criminal record of the other person. That's exactly person right. I've never thought about anymore. that. That's incredible. So, so you don't forget them. You don't yeah. forget. Yeah. Um, because you would be, you would be silly or naive, yeah. uh, but you, but you don't dwell on them because you know, that's a different person. And, mm. and the same goes for me. Um, uh, you know, 10 years ago when, I lied about having work to do so I wouldn't have to go pick up the kids from the child's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a different Harrison. Mm. And, um, and so now when I, when I, she asked me to go pick up the kids from the party or where, wherever they are, 
Um, first of all, I, I'm like, well, I'm I'm not busy, so I'm not going to say I'm busy. If I don't want to do it, I could just tell her that. That's not mm-hmm. a lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about it. Um, but you know, nine times out of ten, I do it. We both work, and our mm-hmm. both of our her time's valuable, and so is mine, and I do it. Mm-hmm. And I have to trust that she's not. When I say I can't do it, that I really do have to work, she's not going to add that to my criminal record with everything else from 10 yeah, years ago. Yeah, That's yeah, a different yeah. Harrison yeah. right there. So she looks yep. at me differently, too. Yeah, that 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 is uh, <laughs> the Annie. There's nothing that Annie dislikes more in me than when I'm just not. She's like, just tell me the truth. I'd rather you say I don't want to go than be like, there's something I'm doing back here that has that's pretty time consumptive. And uh, so one of the I, I want to ask you one more uh, question uh, in this sort of space. How, so how like how is Lauren doing? Like by the way, I, I, that chapter she wrote, I laughed so hard. I listened to your interview on the Christianity Today, which was great, by the way, with with Mike. But you know, it made me laugh so hard that you said something like, you know, <laughs> she went away for like, you know, a couple of days and came back with this gorgeous chapter. I mean, that chapter is so beautiful. But I just thought, I thought, what a, what a genius and beautiful move for her to be able to say, because I think everybody reading it, you like her. I mean, as much as you, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's like you see her struggle, but you do such a beautiful job of representing her that you really feel for. Like, you're not reading it going like, are you yeah. kidding me? You know, there's parts of you that are like, no, 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 no. But, you know, you feel for her. You're very empathetic toward her. So for her to have her chapter, I just thought, what a masterstroke on so many levels. One, just because it, it's fascinating to read. And by that time in the book, you as a reader, like, craving to hear her side. Yeah. But I think, too, just it lets her speak for herself. It's not, yeah. you know, you, you've done so much of that already and to give her a chance. But, how, like, how is she right now? How is she navigating this whole thing? <laughs> um. She told me uh, last week that she said, if, if I have to be on national TV, can you give me a heads up? Because I would like to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> um, that's sort of where she is. Uh, I was like, baby, that's not how the Today Show works. I, th- I don't think we're going to get a three-month heads up. Um, I was like, but I didn't say anything about her losing thirty pounds yeah. because I didn't want to. I don't want to. I don't like being physically assaulted. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> in that way, at least. But, but <laughs> I, uh, she's she's doing great. She is well. She's not doing well in one sense because she knows our oldest is about to go off to college. Yeah. So yeah, she bra- yeah. she breaks down yeah. into tears yeah. about every ten to fifteen days. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that's that's sweet. Um, but it it is sad because it is all coming to an end. That that sort of that happy little family of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will, moment. Will yeah, be slowly disintegrating. Into yeah, yeah, becoming a new thing. And I've reminded yeah. her it becomes a new thing. It doesn't die. But um, she's doing great. She is. Uh, she works for the Society of Classical Learning, which like works with classical schools around the country. Which sounds um, like a front for an Avengers thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she she is an Avenger. She's an ex man, <laughs> um, an ex lady. No, that's that's not right. That's not that's <laughs> <sad. It's okay. laughs> um, Anyway, so she works there. She loves that. Uh, she's the director of Children's Church. Uh, she's so good with kids. I've tried to convince her to like let me help her write a book about parenting. Oh we man. Would, uh-huh. We would make a billion dollars if she would write a book. I'm like, I I I lust for money, and I'm like, 
I'm like, please, will you let me help you write a book? Or I will just, I will tell you what you could say, and then you yeah, could yeah, say yeah, it, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. would tell me, or whatever. Yeah, but she just has no interest in it. Um, and she's uh, very in, involved uh, with stuff at our kids' school and mm. and at church. We have a very small church, as we talked about in the book. Um, but just last night, and this is really cool. So, like for the new members class. At a very small church, your new members class is typically very small. It's like two couples, but they do we do that once a year. And so they're going through reading some materials and stuff and sort of Soren is kind of like, you know, uh, introducing them to the culture of what Christ the King is like. We just call it CTK. Um, <clears throat> but as part of their work in the new members class, he had them read uh, Lawrence chapter in the book. Wow. And um and then you know he told him you read the whole thing but you know like definitely this chapter and then skim Harrison heard, stuff but make sure you yeah, really read. Like yeah, you know, it's a good metaphor but whatever. Um <laughs> so uh like whatever whatever. But anyway, uh <laughs> it didn't hurt, it didn't hurt my feelings. Um but uh so Sword asked us to come to their like new members sort of class last night and just sort of talk to them and, and kind of share our story. And it was obviously funny because he's like, well, you kind of already written your story. Never, the whole world has read your story, but we got to meet these folks. And of course it's a small church. So I've seen these people at church for like the last six months, but um, they read her stuff. And of course it's more awkward for them than it is for us. Yeah. Mm. Just like, it's kind of awkward here. You're like, how do we do this interview? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a little awkward for them, uh, but it's, but it's, it was really, really good. Uh, and mm. seeing Lauren, who's so introverted um, and, and not, maybe not introverted, but very private mm. as she talks about in the book, um, for her to sort of like find peace with the fact that all this is out there and there's nothing that we can do about that anymore, except, um, <laughs> smile and not make it weird for people. Mm -hmm. Um, as she, she said last wow. night that, that, that she struggled so long to control things because of hmm. her broken family and, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. her sort of being a super mom was a symptom of that desire to sort of control and have things that have a world that she sort of understood and could, could manage. Um, and then she said last night, she'd never said it quite like this and I appreciated it. She said that she was now in a season of uncontrol and because this book is out there, she can't control that. She can't control what, how people read it and review it. Um, people notice about us in our mm. community, not just a church, because that's a different vibe, but like people at the school where our kids mm. go, mm -hmm. <clears throat> people around town, people on Facebook, social media. Um, she, she, she can't control the fact that her oldest daughter is about to leave home. Mm. And so yeah. she, she shared that last night, which was really awesome um, to hear mm. her talk about. And I'd never really thought about it that way. Um, but it's been, it has been, um, <clears throat> we do not, we used to fight, you know, as I say in the book, those last three chapters, right? Sort of the aftermath of what happened and we fight and we talk and we fight and we talk. And <clears throat> there were many moments over the last, she came back uh, about two and a half years ago. And there've been many moments where, uh, in the early days, the early months where I would, I would want to know more. Well, what happened on this day? Where were you on this day? What happened mm -hmm. this you know, what happened there? And she was very patient with me because I think she knew she that if she didn't answer me, I would just, I would spiral. 
Mm. <clears throat> but those days are they, those days don't happen anymore. Now when we fight, it's just a normal, healthy fight. We were in the car about three months ago and with our three daughters, <clears throat> and we were disagreeing about something. Like she likes buying frozen shrimp. I want the fresh shrimp. This is Savannah. The shrimp grow and you know, right down the street. And we're fighting <laughs> about it. And um our our youngest daughter, whose name is Ferris. Um, she said, please don't fight. Please don't fight. Please don't fight. Cause she went immediately to like divorce land. They're going to yeah. fight. My mom's going to leave again. And this time it's going to be worse. And then our middle child kind of joined in. They're like, please, please stop. Please stop. It's just shrimp. It's just shrimp. Please stop. Mm. And, uh, and then we both turned like together. We were like, shut up. This is a normal fight. Nobody's <laughs> leaving. <laughs> um, and it was like really healthy. Yeah. Wow. Be, and, because we never fought like normally before. It was always mm, quiet, yeah. secretive. Behind yeah, those yeah, doors. yeah, and, yeah. And we were like, I was like, Ferris, and I like held her hand. She would, they weren't crying, but you could see their kind of their PTSD coming back. Yeah. And I was mm. like, this is just normal. Your mom made a big mistake and got the wrong kind of shrimp. <laughs> and <laughs> we love, <laughs> we love her. We're going to love her through this. <laughs> and when I get a chance, I'm going to go get some real shrimp. Uh, that's so good. Um, but it was, it, we, you know, it was, it was good for us mm. to be like working in tandem. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is a normal, healthy fight. It's not even yeah. really a fight. Nobody's right. getting divorced. Right. Um, it was really good. Godly. Okay. So I, I have one last quick question. I'm always really fascinated with humor. I think like I'm fascinated how like, in my observation, guys go to humor so often. It's like, I feel like every guy thinks he's a stand-up comedian in general. And every woman thinks that they are an interior decorator. It's like, those are the, <laughs> sort of the corners that we go to. That's you know? so good. It's really good. And you, obviously, you are one of the most, the funniest people I know. And in your book, you, you talk about humor, I, like two separate times where you kind of hone in on it one where you talk about it as like this chicken that comes out and sometimes you feel like do people only hang out with me because maybe the chicken will pop up and that it's kind of fun you know <laughs> and then there's other time animal. where you talk about in your your and lauren's relationship how it's like it was kind of this thing that was like your thing the two of you together you're both funny you mm -hmm. have this witty sort of like you know, snipes with each other, but it's also, I think this, I think I'm quoting you here. Funny people can really make a marriage feel lonely. You said, mm -hmm. so I'm curious, what is your relationship like with humor? Cause it's such, it's so your thing. And probably like in, when you're writing and when you're doing your, your thing, uh, occupationally, it's probably a little cleaner and it's like, this is, I do this here, I do this here, this is my superpower. Has, it has humor and, and humor sort of like piece of the pie in your marriage changed now? Well, before we, we used to make fun of each other, and now we make fun of other people um, together. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, that's the secret. <laughs> that's the secret. Uh, well, I mean, humor is just sort of my MO. That's, that's, that's me. And so, yeah. um, you know, it's like people asking you guys, like, so music, <laughs> talk about music. How do you make music? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> you're you're thinking in 
song lyrics and you're hearing music all around you and you're playing on the piano it's an extension of you it's um you're not really thinking about it you're not thinking about why you love music so much <clears throat> i mean i'm sure you do it some sometimes but it's just so natural such a natural part of who you are right you're listening to songs and you're like oh i wouldn't have sung it like that but mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm not everybody you know they put mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. um that's how I am with comedy. It's just a natural part of how I operate. It's how I see the world. It's my hermeneutic. It's like, uh, mm. it is the, it is my truth detector. I, I often don't know where I stand in the world because I, you know, sometimes lack emotional intelligence. I also just don't really care about other people and what they have to say. <laughs> um, and, and so I often don't quite know where I am. I'm kind of George Costanza in any situation. Like, where do I fit in here? Um, mm -hmm. How do I fit in here? And humor is a truth detector. It's like the, it's the Geiger counter for truth. Mm -hmm. And so if I can say something and people laugh, I'm like, okay, I think I've got better footing now about what's going on in this situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I tell yeah. a funny joke and they don't laugh, I'm like, Oh, okay. No, I'm going, I need to go turn this way and go mm -hmm. this way. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And, and that goes in writing. It's the only kind of writing that when people read it, you can tell if it works. Yeah, um, totally objective. Laughter is to writing like dancing is to music. Wow. Um, when you play a song and people dance, it's a good song. It mm -hmm. is a good song. That's how it works. Now, you don't dance to all songs. It'd be weird if you dance to all of them. But playing a dance song, you know, like musicians love to play, you know, these upbeat tempo numbers because you can tell if it's working. Yeah. If mm -hmm. you're playing a ballad, you really don't know if it's working because everybody's yeah. just kind of standing there looking yeah. at you. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so from I, that's why I love humor so much is because for me, it's a skeleton key into truth. If I can make you laugh and something is working yeah. and I'm going to stay on this path for a while. And if, for, if anything, I have to pull back the humor and go, OK, um, you know. I'm writing about something terrible that happened in my marriage. Is the reader going to be turned off by too much funny right here? Yeah. And if I, yeah. if I feel like they are, then I, I dial it back because when I'm writing this stuff, this is, you know, in some cases, one, five, 10, 20 years after the episode that's, that that's happening that I'm writing about. So I'm not being, um, I'm not being flippant. This thing happened 20 years ago or this, you know, when my when my wife's mother died 10 days mm -hmm. before our wedding, that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for me to be funny about it right now. And it's easy mm -hmm. for my wife to be funny about it and for my sister-in-law to be funny about it. But I always have to remember the reader is just now learning this. Yeah. Is it going to offend them mm -hmm. or throw them out of the moment? So I'm That's, always sort yeah. of modulating the humor for their reaction. There's, I mean, sure. There are times when I'm like, Look, this is objectively funny. If you don't find it funny, then you probably have a problem. Right, right. Um, but I, but I don't want to turn everybody off all the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so before we release you, um, something that I, so I, I, these friends again, I told you I had so many friends and have so many friends that are reading this book. Um, I actually had a buddy of mine literally yesterday text me like, "Dude, do you know this new Harrison Scott King book?" So what I did is I actually texted a few of them that really, really love the book. And I said, here, you know, we're going to be talking to them more. Do you have a question? And 
Uh, a couple of them sent these two questions that I wanted to ask before we go because I think they're really great. One of them is from a, uh, a pastor friend of mine who loved the book, um, and this is this is what he asked. You mentioned the place of faith community a lot in this book, especially as it relates to how they cared for you both during and after the affair. What things slash how do you think the church, either leadership or in our communal life together, can do better? Uh, can better do this type of thing off more upstream? Mm. Well, um, that's a tough question, and, and I know that like churches are institutional structures that have sort of their own logic and their own pitfalls and pros and cons. And I'm not an expert in that field, but I can sort of tell you what worked for us Mm. and maybe what didn't happen at our previous church fostering community outside of sunday morning church is important Mm. and not i ain't talking about small groups and i ain't talking about bible studies i'm just talking about hanging out Mm. like pool party church pool party like uh let the dudes all go to the comedy show you know mm. like like stuff that has that doesn't have to be pious all the time yeah yeah that doesn't have to start with a prayer and end with a bible verse um because it just feels like work mm. sometimes um but just making a community um like that's normal like so we hang out like church is just one thing we do together yeah like yep. worship is just one thing we do mm-hmm. yep. uh granted it's small and I think when churches get big, the power structures become so um, rigorous and things start to change when a church gets big. Mm, yeah. And I don't I think that is a law of nature. I don't think it's something that you can change no matter how good your intentions are. As I say in the book, uh, it costs a lot of money to keep lights on at a big, big church. Mm. And the, the lease and the rent and the power bill costs a lot of money. And you ha- you t- you can take fewer risks. Uh, you have to be more uh, strict, and you have to be more conservative uh, when the as the church gets big. Even if you have small groups, and you know you got your teen pastor and your women's minister and your singles, and it just starts to get calcified. And bad things will happen no matter how good of the people are who are involved. Mm. If it gets too big, I, I really do believe that. But uh, I mean, I think of all the churches that were around where I grew up in Mississippi. There's so many like kind of mega churches there now, or at least mega churches for Mississippi. But um, one truth that's, that I remembered is that there were so many small churches. Like every five miles, there'd be a little small Baptist church, and five mi- miles down the highway, there'd be another one. And these these people all knew each other, but like that was where they went to church. And something about the small size of that was very beneficial. And I think that was true for us. So everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, that was one part of it. Um, I think the the pastor, um, this is Soren, uh, who's one of my best friends. Um, his, like he asked, so when he found out what happened, you know, I, I told him and my other buddies, and about three days later, he said, do you mind if I call Lauren? And, you know, she she was about to move out. She wasn't coming to church. Um, I mean, she was we were for all intents and purposes divorced at that point. He said, do you mind if I talk to her? I was like, he just was kind of giving me a heads up. I, if I said I minded, he would have probably done it anyway. He was just giving me a heads up. And he just sat with her and he said, I asked him what he you know, 
like I didn't, it was kind of, he was kind of in counseling mode. So I didn't want to pry, like, tell me everything she said. Of course I wanted to know everything she said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said, is there anything I should know? We went and talked mm-hmm. to my wife. Is there anything I should know? Um, and I said, you know, can I ask, what did you ask her? Like, mm-hmm. how did it go? I just kind of wanted to make sure she was okay. And he said, I asked her what it was like to be married to you. Mm. And that's not what you would expect. You'd expect most pastors to come in with what you were right. doing is wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and we love you, but it's wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. He didn't. I mean, you know what? She already knew it was wrong. She didn't need mm. anybody to tell her that. Yeah. She just needed him to say, "How does it feel to be you right now?" Mm-hmm. And um, he could do that, and he does that for everybody in our church. I mean, he's dealing with lots of stuff from lots of people, not just us. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big piece of it, that mm-hmm. he would, he kind of served as an as an arbitrator between her and me when we mm-hmm. weren't going to therapy. Like, he um, he would call, he would call me after they would talk and he'd say, you know, I just, I, I felt encouraged and I just wanted you to hear that. And that's it. That's mm-hmm. all I want to tell you. I felt encouraged talking to her. That was a big part of it. Sometimes it was just the, knowing that you are loved by people um, in a very tangible way Mm. gives you a lot of strength. Mm. And so here's what I mean by that. Um, When people found out, I, they didn't text me and say, what can I do? Because that doesn't really help because that just gives me another life or death decision to make that day. Wow. They would send me a photo of a bottle of whiskey that was sitting on my front porch and be like, I just left this. If you would like somebody to drink it with, please let me know. Mm. And I'm like, so I open my front door and I'd see this, you know, bottle of Irish whiskey there. And I'm like, somebody cares mm-hmm. and knows I'm going through it. And so when I'm down in the pit of hell, I know that I'm not alone, even mm. though you experience it as a solitary experience. Mm. Or they would say, hey, like, I mean, this just happened just like a month ago or two months ago. And this is to answer the this pastor's question. Um, I hurt my back really bad, so bad that I thought I might not be able to go on book tour. It was just one of those, you know, 40 something year old injuries that just, mm-hmm. it happens and you're like, yeah, you need yeah. a wheelchair now. Yeah. And, uh, it was really bad. And so our yard, we live in Savannah, grass grows fast. Our yard was like out of control. And of course I could not mow it. I could barely walk. So I'm sitting in my garage working on a story. I've got the fan on. I'm kind of sitting in front of the fan like I'm in a wind turbine. <laughs> and uh, I hear a sound and I like lean out of my garage and it's uh, somebody from my church just mowing my grass. And I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, I was tired of effing looking at it. <laughs> and uh, and I and I said, well, I ain't going to stop you. I was like, you'll do it. You You won't do it right because I do it better, but I'm not going to stop you. And he goes. Screw you. And he just, he cut my grass. He did a terrible job. But like, he didn't ask if he could help. He just came yeah, over yeah. and did something. Yeah. So, and so now we've started to model that. So like we have friends and I was just talking to my buddy. We were out at the pool and it just sounded like he and his wife were kind of not in a good place. Like nothing terrible. They were just kind of fighting and lots was going on at home with work. And I just came home. I was like, I told Lauren, I was like, we need to do dinner for them tonight. Mm. Do not, do not ask permission. Just tell them we are going to leave some chicken tendies and some tater logs in your front porch and you can throw them away if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. But we love you. Yeah. Uh, Because if you ask somebody, they're going to be like, no, 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 no. We've got dinner. Please don't, you know, so 
that that right there has that. been the biggest thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that chicken tendies is going to be one of my takeaways from this. <laughs> so, uh, and, and here's the last question of these two. And it's it's actually two questions from two friends, but it's kind of the same question, which is, how are the children doing? Have they read? And if they have, how have they reacted to the book? And then just in general, how have they reacted to it? Um, uh, they're good. They're full golf. They've gone golf now. So, uh, everything's going according to plan. Um, so, you know, I, what I tell people about the kids, I mean, the, the, the kids are great. Um, they are the, they are the single greatest testimony to the success of my marriage to Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so good and funny and smart and weird and awesome. Um, so what I like to tell people, because I think a lot of readers are naturally concerned for the kids and this is something yeah, yeah, like yeah. this being out there. Um, we wrote this book for our kids. Oh, wow. I wanted, I wanted this book to be there when the same way that the memory of who my father and grandfather were mm. in their marriages and the struggles I saw them overcome and the hell I saw them go through. Um, I want this book to be a reminder to our children when their own marriages are hard. Yeah. That the thing that to them was the, was the cornerstone of their lives, Mm. um, almost, uh, got destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, but the goodness kept it together. Mm. Um, I Mm. also like to remind people that, um, our kids were here for pretty much everything that happened. So they weren't surprised by any, if they haven't read this book, they're 12, 15 and 17. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't think they read any of my books. Uh, they, I'm sure they will one day, hopefully. But, um, I think, uh, they, there, there's nothing in this book. They, they wouldn't read that. I mean, they, of course they'd be surprised by how I felt about something or how, mm their mom felt about something, but they're not going to be surprised by any of the major tentpole facts in this yeah. book because mm-hmm. they, they experienced them all. Yeah. Um, so when, when Lauren left, uh, she, of course, we sat down the kids and I, this scene is in the book, that brutal scene where we tell the kids that she's leaving. Uh, when she, I didn't say any of this, but when she came back, we sat the kids down again and she said, um, you guys remember Chad? Well, I had an inappropriate relationship with him, and that is why all of this has been going on. Um, she came clean with them. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I was just there, quiet. You know, just mm-hmm. it was it was all Lauren telling them. Um, we knew that they would probably like go, oh wow, and then like kind of bury that deep, like okay, well, I'm glad you're home, mom. You know. Um, so when uh, when we got the the book deal and it was obviously going to happen, we talked to them about it. Before I started posting about the book, I was my two oldest kids follow me on Instagram. I'm like, all right, girls, y'all know the deal. When Dad has a book coming out, like I post about it, and I have to I have to encourage people to read it. Um, but this one's this one's a little d- weird, and it's going to be hard to encourage people to read this story that seems so painful to all of us. Mm. So we talked about it at the dinner table. And ask them if they had any questions. Um, they've been to see our therapist. I call him Dr. Berman in the book. Uh, he asked to see them. And um, he's given us lots of encouragement from his conversations with them. Mm. Um, and then we, uh, in almost exactly a year ago, the book was about finished. And Lauren and I um, uh, each read a chapter in front of the church. 
Yeah, um, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and so that that was as adults, and we invited a bunch of friends who aren't Christians or don't go to our church, um, just as kind of a a beta test to see what it would feel like to share this openly. There were a lot of people at our church mm-hmm. who didn't know, and that's a real testament to to um, confidentiality that mm-hmm. that our close friends had. There were people who we consider pretty good friends, and they were shocked. Wow. And my first thought was like. I'm kind of shocked that you didn't know it's such a small church. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was a real testament to the loyalty of our friends who mm. didn't spread the word. Um, but we wanted people to know. And we basically, the same way we told our children, we wanted the church to know, like, all right, guys, well, this church in our life and our marriage is about to be out there in about nine months. And we want you to know first what this is about. So we share, I read uh, like a little bit from the first chapter. Lauren read her chapter. It was really a holy moment. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, There were a lot of tears and and looks of shock and confusion and wonder and awe in the the church that day. Um, And we told our daughters, hey, we're going to read this at church. And so there might be a parent who tells their kid what it was about. And the kid might say something new. So we want you to know. Um, so yeah, they've, they've been, we've, we've carried them along, uh, and protected them, but carried them along with us on the journey. So they're not Mm. shocked. So there's, Mm. there's nothing hidden secrets. I mean, the truth is scary. This truth is very scary, but secrets Mm. do worse damage than truth. Mm. Yeah. Come on. So, so yeah, we, we want them to not be afraid. I don't want them to wake up when they're 25 years old and, and go, wait, dad and mom did what, what happened? Yeah. And then their whole past, their memory of who they are crumbles around them. I don't want that to happen at all. I want them to to feel strength from what happened. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. Man. Okay. We're at the end here. We only have one quick little last question that we ask. But before I ask it, I just want to say thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dave and I have, over these last couple of years, uh, have texted you nice little compliments here and there as we're reading your writings. But I've really... So last year I turned 40 and and some of my friends, Dave included, wrote these nice letters to me. And I remember reading them and just... They were so kind and so nice and it was it was great. And I remember like as I'm reading the last one, I told myself like, keep these letters because maybe tomorrow morning or in like three months, you're going to think all of this is a lie and that you're <laughs> back to being the worst person on the planet. And so I try to keep that. And, I, and as, I'm, as I'm texting you something or as I'm getting ready to say what I'm about to say, I'm, there's part of me that's like, he gets this all the time. He's, he doesn't, you don't need to puff him up anymore. But then I'm like, no, 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 no. We always revert back to thinking like, we're the worst. And even like our superpower is, you know, not a superpower and we're, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just, from the bottom of my heart, I'll say this to you for today, but this is more for like whenever that day comes that you feel like you're the worst. You are so good. And the writing, your writing is, is just like a gift to all the readers. And I felt that way after your first two books. And this one is just on another level. It's like the writing is still the gift, but then the words that you say, mm. it just, it, it like, 
it just gives multiple, multiple gifts. And like I said, as a, as a believer and someone who's grown up in the church and felt the way that I've felt at times throughout the years, reading what you wrote so well, it's like that's a gift on that front. And then as a, as a guy who's been married for 16, 17 years now, your honesty about your relationship and your marriage and yourself and the good and the bad, that, it, that's a gift. I mean, it's just, I'm just thank you. Your writing is so great. So um, last question. Should you write a book on fatherhood? What would the title be? Um, probably dad joke. Uh, <laughs> we knew you would deliver, HSK. We knew oh you would God, deliver. Oh, my God, that's so good. <laughs> like dad comma joke question mark? Uh, I don't know. Um, thank you for saying that about my... There's no better talent. answer you could have just had. That's literally <laughs> that's the perfect. best answer. That's perfect. And uh, just for people listening... There wasn't like a two-minute silence <laughs> no, that, that we was, just edited that out. That was right off the yeah, dome. That was real time. <laughs> that was right off the dome. <laughs> Holy cow, that was good. So, and I, so as we as we say goodbye again, everybody. The book is called "How to Stay Married: The Most Insane Love Story Ever Told." Harrison Scott Key. It is so. I, I'm I'm not even gonna repeat it because John said everything I would say. It's beautiful. Thank you for writing it, and thank you for your vulnerability to let us see that and then meet you there. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Thank you, guys. It's so fun to talk to two musicians who can read. Um, <laughs> really gives me hope. Gives me hope. There are others out there. <laughs> you just got to find them. <laughs>